You're listening to Nostalgia Be Damned. My son is sick. That's it. There's nothing else. I am not going to bury my son. My son is going to bury me. Hello, everybody. My name is Zach. I'm Brandon. You're listening to Nostalgia Be Damned, the show where we take some of your favorite movies from your childhood, the ones you're nostalgic about, and we review them objectively, let you know, are these movies actually good or are you blinded by nostalgia? This week we watched 2002's crime thriller drama, John Q. (sighs) What a curious movie for us to do, Brandon. Give a father no options and you leave him with no choice, Zach. Mm Mm-hmm. Speaking of fathers, you just became one. You want to mention our, our guest for the episode? <laughs> I mean, you make it sound like I had a kid. That's right. Zach's a father of a human baby. Oh, wait, a puppy. Oh, it's a little puppy dog. He's showing me now. She's so sweet. She's, a little, she's asleep right now. Uh, she's a ball of chaos. Her name is Phoebe. And uh, I'm probably going to give her up soon. <laughs> At her a day. Yeah, I'm, I'm over it. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I'm glad that that's a nice ray of sunshine because the world is fucking falling apart around us. And we picked a movie before a lot of things went down and we're going to go through with it. I feel like we need a disclosure, though, that uh, if uh, if you're listening to this as uh, as it's releasing or if you're coming back to it years later, I don't know why you would, but (laughs) years later, um, we are kind of in. I, I don't know how to describe it, Brandon. A shitstorm right now. Uh, obviously, the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, we are in, God, our third month at home or something like that. Going on. And then to top that off, uh, we have riots going on across the country after the death of George Floyd. We, we're trying not to be political on this podcast, so we're going to try and stay away from some of that because we know a lot of people come to this podcast for nothing for for us being stupid talking about shitty movies um so we're gonna try try and avoid some of that that being said brandon fuck we picked a difficult movie yeah (laughs) for this oh man our first denzel washington movie by the way we picked john q because it had such a devastatingly low rotten tomato score that simply didn't make sense to us when revisiting our memories at least of the film it has a 23 percent on rotten tomatoes 7.1 on imdb so much higher regarded by fans audiences and i was a big fan of this movie it came out when i was 11 i think it was probably 12 by the time i saw it on dvd i remember this is when dvd started getting real popular one of the first ones my dad actually bought it seemed mature while also being a very thrilling like almost popcorn entertainment it's also tackling some larger issues for me, it fell in that wheelhouse of this is a, a movie with a social message. I feel a little more adult for watching it, and I really grew to enjoy it and the performances specifically. It was one of those movies where I really first started to notice acting and what you could do with it. Denzel Washington, of course, been in movies that I had seen previous. A fan of his, this only made me more of a fan. And a movie I, I, I can say that I actually had seen probably about five years ago. But again, a movie I was shocked to see had such a low score. So we wanted to revisit it for the show because, again, you you also had fond memories of this as well. Yeah, I watched this movie uh, 
again, when it came out on DVD, it was one of those blockbuster rentals, even though we didn't get it from blockbuster. We went to Wegmans movie rentals, upstate New York. This was a movie my parents rented. And I don't know, this just kind of became a thing that it was my parents would rent a movie more for them and I would sit down and watch it with them. And this was one that I remember thinking was really good when I first watched it. Denzel Washington was great. This, I think, was one of my first... I mean, obviously, like, remember the Titans. I knew he was already good. But this is one of those movies where I really kind of noticed his range. And I don't think I had that feeling of, like, I'm more adult that you had but i definitely had this sense of like i'm watching an injustice be corrected or something like that that was how i felt when i first saw it i have not seen it since that first watch it has been that long since i've seen the movie so i was really shocked to see the rotten tomato score and you know even though audiences seem to like it panned by critics so was really really curious to see how this held up Yeah, the critics' consensus actually reads, Washington's performance rises above the material, but John Q pounds the audience over the head with its message. And we will go into kind of the lack of subtlety uh, that's run (laughs) throughout the film. This, of course, directed by Nick Cassavetes, son to legendary film director and actor John Cassavetes, and Hollywood icon Gina Rollins. I didn't know that was their son, Gina Rollins was in her son's adaptation of Nicholas Sparks' The Notebook. Zach, Ooh. that's right. This guy directed it, and she's the old lady in that movie. The older Rachel McAdams. Interesting. Nick Cassavetes actually began his career as an actor. You might remember him from roles in, like, Face Off, and he's the tattoo guy in The Hangover Part 2. Of course, Gina Rollins also acted in his feature film directing debut with 1996's Unhook the Stars. That was followed by She's So Lovely, which was also written by his dad. Then came John Q in 2002, which proved he could actually be out on his own. No more nepotism. And uh, this job actually got him the notebook the very next year. Then he made Alpha Dog, which I'm actually kind of a fan of. Kind of a decent crime thriller anyway. He did that movie My Sister's Keeper with Cameron Diaz and Abigail Breslin. And then he did Yellow. And his most recent film was the Cameron Diaz comedy The Other Woman a few years back. He does, however, currently have a Roadhouse remake in the works. Ew, dude, ew. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but like we mentioned, yeah, I mean, completely desecrated by critics. Nevertheless, it was a box office success. It cost $36 million to make. It earned $71 million in the States and $102 million worldwide. Finished 39th on the domestic charts that year, just behind Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron, but just above Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. Ooh, to uh, stay tuned. Just kidding. Don't want to do either of those movies. <laughs> Two perfect films. Spirit, maybe we could, we, we might do Spirit. <laughs> no, we could not do any more fucking DreamWorks animated movies on this podcast, Zach. I, I'm, there's a boycott. Why? They've all turned out, they've all turned out so well. <laughs> We've done that entire studio's fucking filmography at this point almost. I can't wait till we do Anastasia. Holy shit. You know what? We might. That's actually, that could be a stay tuned. So as we mentioned, this, of course, our first Denzel Washington film. This is the year after his Oscar win for Training Day. This was the very next role he went into. The only other actor really considered was Tom Hanks, actually, at that point. Which, you know, I guess they're going for the everyman type of vibe. Uh, I think Denzel Washington, a way better choice for this particular role because I, I just, I see Tom Hanks doing this role more panicky and... 
you know, less sure of himself where I see Denzel Washington with a lot more passion, I feel like. Oh, for sure. And I, I can't imagine Tom Hanks being all that intimidating in the scenes that call for a very strong presence. But this is a, a film very much close to director Nick Cassavetti's heart as his own daughter, Sasha, was born with a congenital heart defect. That's why the actual end of the film is dedicated to Sasha. His later film, My Sister's Keeper, also made to chart her medical experiences. This one's PG-13. I've learned something over this little break here, okay? This movie's PG-13 for violence, language, and intense thematic elements. Now, as a kid, I didn't really know what thematic elements in a movie rating meant. I don't know what that means now. Exactly, man. Because I thought it maybe was just like if religion is ever in a movie. Because it seemed to always tie to movies that ever touch on religion. It always was PG or PG-13 for thematic elements. So, according to the MPAA, thematic elements in a film are just moments or content that doesn't fit into the traditional categories such as violence, sex, drug use, nudity, and language. Therefore, they can be anything including... Topics like addiction and abortion, child abuse, corruption, uh, religion, poverty, politics, miscarriages, mental illnesses, anything that just could be conceived. Yes, suicides also in there as well. Verbal abuse, war. So yeah, anything that's uh, that could be considered unwholesome, I guess, or uh, could be fit into those specific sex, violence, drug use, language categories. They just lump it all into thematic material, dude. Interesting. Uh, I also had one more thing to mention about this movie before we dive into it, Brandon. I did my own research, which is very rare for this show. It shows a lack of trust on your part. Yeah, it sure does. Um, (laughs) Apparently, something similar to this situation did happen in Canada. Uh, This one, apparently a man held an ER hostage after they refused to treat his infant son. That one did not end uh, quite as John Q does. That man was actually shot when he left the ER. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, apparently the script ended much darker as well. On that happy note. John Q. So we open on some Ave Maria. I noticed that playing over some sweeping shots of, I think this is Canada, I believe. It was shot in Canada. Actually, this entire film was shot in Canada, even though uh, the hospital and John Q's... uh, neighborhood takes place in chicago but the whole thing was shot in canada uh really dark rendition of ave maria too yeah if you want a great ave maria rendition watch the hitman trailer that's right the one from like 2007 or 8 great use of that song thanks man <laughs> uh but this uh this terrible driver this young woman driving extremely dangerously into oncoming traffic not paying attention to the road at all her face seems to be obscured by some jewelry hanging off the rearview mirror, and I'm not entor- entirely sure if that's meant to imply that, like, rich people, <laughs> they don't know how to drive, man, because this movie has it out for the wealthy. Oh, does it ever? We- I can't wait to dive into the themes and the messages of this movie because the Rotten Tomato consensus is not wrong. You get bashed over the face with the messages. Uh, this woman, though... Brandon, I don't know if you noticed in the end credits, credited as Beautiful Woman. Really? Wow. What a credit. Yeah. Weird, right? She's in this one scene and then, you know, a couple shots later on, but she is attempting to pass a semi when she's clipped by another oncoming semi. As she tries to get back into her lane, she spins out of control, and then the first semi slams into the side of the car, killing her instantly. Really, really well shot, well staged, but just holy shit, man. What a way to start this movie. Uh, I saw this movie before I could drive, and that scene scared me off of passing people when I first started driving. 
<laughs> yeah, you do not pass on a curve and you do not follow behind a log truck. Thank you very much, Final Destination 2. Weep, weep, weep. But we cut to Chicago, Illinois, a couple weeks later. We're introduced to Denzel Washington, John Quincy Archibald. His car is being towed. And, uh, you know, everyone in this world, in this middle class town, is kind of a dick to each other, except for, like, the friends, the tight knit community of these, like, mill workers and whatnot. Because even the guy who's towing the truck's like, pay your bills, asshole, or whatever. It's like, good lord, man. We're all just trying to get by. Chicago. Exactly. But it, in fact, it's actually his wife's car, Denise. This is played by Kimberly Elise. Obviously not too happy that her car was repoed. They have an argument as their son comes down the stairs, flexing, quoting his favorite bodybuilder. This fucking kid, man, he's so goddamn cute. It's uh, this little boy, very so charming, so sweet, Daniel Smith as Mike Archibald. I think we differ in opinions on on the uh, likability of this kid. Really? Yeah, I, we do. Wow, 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 wow. Okay, all right, well, then this will be a fun episode, man. No, I thought he was really good. <laughs> You're not a fan of him, huh? No, not really. I mean, the, ki- the kid does fine. I just, like, you know... It didn't do it for me. I think after coming off the high of Lindsay Lohan, the bar was set too high for the child actors. Understandable. Understandable. Yeah, we did just come off one of the best child performances. But can you deny that I think they do a really well job, a really good job, I'm sorry, of establishing this working class family, their relationships. They even have like, again, a a fairly unnecessary scene of them driving to work with their kind of goof around the car. Yeah, it pads the runtime, but it really adheres you to these characters and makes you like their rapport, their relationships in general. They're all very nice, sweet people who are just trying to make it by. I agree. I think it really does establish the family dynamic and it's good character building for uh, John Q. That said, I think it also the mom at the very beginning of this movie immediately like is yelling at Denzel Washington for getting her car towed. Right. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's because he didn't pay the bills. You know what I mean? He's working part time at a plant of some kind. She's a grocery store clerk. I, I'm just saying it comes into play later that, you know, she's applying pressure to him. He's trying to find another job though at this point. And Mike, so damn sweet, he's even offering his $42 of allowance he's saved, dude. Come on. I'm not saying that the kid's not like, I don't know, man. <laughs> no, I because I can tell because the, the writers are really going above and beyond to really make you like this kid. And I feel it. You know what I mean? And that's kind of the bad part about this movie is I feel a lot of the manipulation that they're they're going for. Yeah. Also, this kid's like 10 years old and wants to be a bodybuilder when he grows up. Get, out, get away from me. What are you talking about? Dude, I don't want another fucking astronaut nerd. I want a bodybuilder. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate it. <laughs> but that day before dropping him off for school, he tells him one of the iconic lines from this movie. Goodbye. Hey, it's not goodbye. I hate goodbyes. It's see you later. You better start saying that to Phoebe, dude, or you're not a good dad. No, I'm telling Phoebe, <laughs> I'm never coming back. And then I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she doesn't understand Because she's a fucking dog. Because she's a fucking idiot dog. Hey, you're a fucking idiot dog. Oh, such a cutie. She's asleep now, right? Still she's asleep. sleeping. She can't even hear it. That's she right. is sleeping. Yeah, she. I'm pretty sure she could sleep through a freaking uh, oncoming truck accident. Oh, what a harsh metaphor, dude. Come on, for this movie? <laughs> oh, were we talking about the movie? <laughs> yeah, man, John Q. Oh. So the next day, Mike is playing some baseball at this little league game. After making a sweet hit, dude, and a steal to second, he collapses. Seizures on the ground. 
His entire family rushes the uh, field, rushes him to the closest hospital. And yeah, I mean, can you imagine going to a hospital? The first person you see is fucking E from Entourage. <laughs> we got Kevin Connolly greeting him at the door as Steve McGuire, the orderly. Was not stoked about Kevin Connolly being in this movie. <laughs> well, I'm stoked about a lot of these characters in the ER. We haven't got to them quite yet. After the initial shock of the doctors and nurses doing everything they can, John and Denise are escorted out of the room. One of the first questions asked, hey, what's the name of your insurance company? <laughs> this fucking healthcare system, man. This freaking country. We eventually meet the head of cardiology, Dr. Raymond Turner, and Rebecca Payne, a hospital administrator. This is James Woods and Anne Heche, respectively. What a charismatic duo. <laughs> I, I forgot. I totally forgot James Woods was in this movie. Uh, <sighs> man. He doesn't sit right with me anymore, but you know what? I still like him on screen. Great performer. It's also funny that his character in this specifically mentions a lot of gun control uh, policies. And like, it's so easy to get a gun. You just snap your fingers like that. Uh, not the James Woods I know today. I was going to say, he's one of like the GOP's biggest Hollywood supporters. Now. <laughs> uh, it's so weird because this is such a leftist leaning movie and he is in hindsight such a right-wing guy but they tell mike's parents that he has an enlarged heart and it will need a transplant essentially his heart's fucking useless he needs a new one of course very cold and clinical as they run through their options because they're doctors and health administrators they don't care about the average joe like you and me zach rebecca she goes through their options and basically says that you know if the transplant isn't complete he could live months weeks days of course, the family's breaking down, sobbing, crying, both of them delivering very great performances. But again, this is all at this point just like it's cry porn. It's all that uh, very manipulative. It's hard not to get welled up. You know what I mean? If you're a human being, regardless of how well it's executed. You will never see a dry eye from the mother for the rest of this movie. Like another hour and a half <laughs> that we got left in this movie. Mom is never not going to be crying. Yep. And wouldn't you know it? His health insurance has been changed. The new policy does not cover the surgery, leaving them to raise $250,000 just to get their son's name on the donor list. And they require a $75,000 security deposit just to get that yeah. name there. The surgery plus medicine plus other expenses is where that $250,000 payment comes in. It's the $75,000 just so the hospital will put them on the list, which is fucking ridiculous. So John head back, heads back to his office to try to figure out what the hell happened with his coverage. They tell him they switched plans. He only qualifies for fucking, I don't know, some second tier catastrophic coverage bullshit. So they're only going to pay out 20K. We get a montage of John and Denise running around to different state agencies trying to get assistance. And they all turn them away, claiming that for one reason or another, they don't qualify. And I only want to mention the score here because it kicks in. That song. I used with my roommate back in the day just to highlight sad situations or circumstances throughout our daily life. So we just break out with that every so often. I want people to take that with them and maybe bring it into their own lives. You spill a bowl of cereal or something and they, they bring that melody back a ton of times. I wasn't sure if it was part of the score or if it was a song, but a song kicks in over this montage. I'm sorry I'm breaking this down. You're a fucking nerd. <laughs> So John goes about selling everything he has. You know, their church gives them their donations at the end of service. 
And through all this, they try to remain positive in front of Mike. If you forgot when this movie was made, at one point he sells his TV. The guy says, I'll give you 90 bucks for the TV. 20 bucks. 20 bucks for the TV. And John Q can only respond, it's a color TV. (laughs) Oof. I think even for that time period, that's like, yeah, of course it's a color TV. They don't make black and white TVs anymore, John Q. (laughs) Yeah, but $20 is outrageous back in the day for that sweet 32-inch bubble. One of the things I find really silly about this uh, whole hospital visit thing is they have this countdown on the heart monitor that the nurse is very explicit, like his heart can't fall below 77. And it's like watching the speedometer and speed. Like you're just, <laughs> there's even like a loud beep with every dropping of the heart rate. It's like, it starts at 88 and it's like 87. We're like, oh, fuck, dude. It might as well be the clock from 24. <laughs> On this episode beep, of John Q. Beep, yeah. Beep, 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 beep. Can't fall below 77. We got to remember that. But John, at this point, has sold pretty much everything, including his truck, his wife's engagement ring. And the next morning, he gets a call from Denise telling him that the hospital is releasing Mike. They will not keep him. And she demands that he, quote, do something. Do whatever he can. Oh, does he ever. So he takes a bus to the hospital, walks in with a concealed handgun, and he confronts Dr. Turner, James Woods, and walks him into the ER. Also takes the security guard, played by Ethan Supley, dude. Yeah, a reunion, actually, between him and him and Denzel, just a couple years before this. Remember the Titans. Supley is guard Max Conlon. He's ordered to lock the door. They use chains and whatnot to pretty much secure this uh, emergency room. And the hospital, Zach, it's under new management. Free health care for everyone. Ew, he says that. And what an assortment of hostages we have. Uh, who's your favorite hostage, Brandon? I know who mine is. Yeah, mine is 100% fucking Eddie Griffin as Lester Matthews, who's there with some hand injury, who's just there to, like, bring some laughs, you know, some levity to the situation, guy. Undercover brother himself. Stay tuned. Uh, My favorite is the guy who looks like he just came out of uh, a fucking episode of The Sopranos. (laughs) I'm pretty sure you're talking about the abusive asshole boyfriend Mitch Quigley, Played by uh, Sean Addison. <laughs> That's right, baby. Uh, the second is definitely uh, Kevin Connolly. <laughs> That's right, because the nurses in there, there's a few nurses in there. There's also uh, a pregnant couple. There's a lady with a baby. And there's also Mitch's girlfriend, who's Julie. This is actually Heather Walquist, who was actually married to the director at the time of filming. So, Nevertheless, as all this breaks out very quickly, a gunshot victim comes in an ambulance and John at first wants to refuse him. In fact, he even like hangs up on one lady who calls the emergency room. Like I need help. He's like, Nope, sorry, we're closed. Uh, let me give you directions to the other hospital that I hope's close to you. But they do actually let the gunshot victim in and he forces James Woods to help. This is the part where I could see Tom Hanks, maybe playing a, a good role here where he's just like confused and he's like, uh, no, you can't come in here. Try a, a, a different hospital or something like that. But again, I think it's this intensity in other situations where Denzel really shines in this movie. Absolutely. And so far up to this point, again, we've, we've got through the first act, which is pretty heavy. The second act is really a dog day afternoon. It's a straight heist crime movie, essentially, where we get to be introduced to the folks involved, both inside the hospital and outside 
because that's when we're now introduced to the second-hand line himself, dude, Robert Duvall, Lieutenant Frank Grimes with Chicago PD. Frank Grimes, what a fucking lieutenant Chicago cop name. Yeah, I believe they also based that name off a character from The Simpsons. There's a character in The Simpsons, Lieutenant Frank Grimes, who I actually believe is based off a character in Falling Down, which stars Robert Duvall. It all comes full circle, dude. There we go. What I love about this guy, though, is he gets out of his car and he's so badass, he just leaves the fucking door open as he walks away, adjusting his non-existent air. He's completely bald, but he's like rubbing his hands through his air like, fuck yeah, here we go, dude. Hostage negotiator. You know what I love about Robert Duvall? There's Robert Duvall in The Godfather, and then there's just old Robert Duvall. There was never an in-between Robert <laughs> Duvall. He's either young Robert Duvall from The Godfather, or he's just old-ass Robert Duvall. <laughs> Love that guy, man. Uh, so he gets a line of communication with Denzel Washington. This is where we get the, who am I speaking to? John Q. <laughs> oh, best title drop I've ever there, there really isn't any reason to go by John Q. It, I think it is just because they couldn't name the movie John Archibald. He asks what he wants, and John lets him know he wants his kid's name on the donors list, so you better contact Rebecca Payne and Haish. So... I also love during this whole time, the very first communication established between the two, it looks as though Robert Duvall has zero supervision. He's just walking around, wandering with a fucking walkie-talkie, chatting on the side of the street. No one's witnessing what's being said or recording it at first, it seems, because this seems like he just rolls up, grabs his walkie-talkie, like, what's up, guy? Ugh. This guy's the badass. Inside the hospital, though, the pregnant lady is giving birth. She successfully delivers. And at this point, John's also interrogating the mafia-looking guy, uh, who's also in Alpha Dog as one of the villains, also directed by Cassavetes. You know, he's interrogating the other couple. What really happened? Yeah, because his girlfriend has a broken arm. You know, they say that, yeah, a drunk driver hit our car. And John Q, he's a freaking everyday man. He knows fucking cars. His car doesn't have passenger airbags. Oh, fuck. It's a super long, convoluted way to let you know that, obviously, this guy beats the shit out of his girlfriend. Eddie Griffin comes in with a, you're from the Slapahoe tribe. You like to beat on that young lady here and everybody knows it. I, you know, I appreciate Eddie Griffin and I like Eddie Griffin. Don't know why he needs to be in this movie. Why they <laughs> felt they like, we do need comic relief in this movie. It's like, no, you don't like, it's like, it's a drama. Everybody's here for the drama. You don't need Eddie Griffin to come in and drop jokes. This, by the way, has happened in a matter of like, Maybe an hour, I guess, I imagine, from when the time his wife hung up with him to when all this has gone down. Essentially plays like we're watching it in real time because Mike still hasn't been released. Then in comes Chicago Chief of Police, Gus Monroe, Ray fucking Leota. Glad to see his face as well. Again, another cast member I completely forgot was in this movie, even though I watched this five years ago. <laughs> I totally forgot Ray Liotta's in this movie. There's a lot of people who I don't remember being in this movie happy to see, though. Um, although it, it's funny because this cop is, you know, the big swinging dick. He's the chief of police. Fucking people are cheering for him when he walks out of his car. They're like, oh, my God, it's the police chief. Let me get his autograph. Again, not the circumstances in current 2020. Yikeroo, Bonnaroo. Nevertheless, again, I think maybe the reason I forgot that he's in this movie is because he's really insignificant to the plot for the most part. It's, it baffles me that they even got Ray Liotta for this role because he's just kind of secondary to... It's, it's, again, just for this rivalry between the young swinging dick and the old tough guy cop. Well, that and at one point, uh, he's making a bad decision, which we'll get into, and 
he justifies it with it's an election year. So if you needed another fucking message in this movie, it's you can't trust fucking elected <laughs> officials. So, but it's funny the contrast between these two because I all I can think of is one of these guys was in Goodfellas, one of these guys was in The Godfather, and of course Robert Duvall is like all cool and calm. He's the consigliere, and then fucking. Ray Liotta's making jokes with the other cops and they're all giving him like huge fake belly laughs. <laughs> yeah, they're all talking shit behind Duval's back. It's a perfect contrast to those two movies. I just thought that was kind of funny. There's this entire scene in which the hostages relating to John Q by railing against the healthcare system, you know, insurance. And it's, you know, as heavy as the sledgehammer, man, my ears bleeding. <laughs> Thanks to the subtlety of uh, Cassavetti's here. You know, it is what it is. This is the stuff, the shit you hear, though, people talk about in a coffee shop or, you know, as you're going through your day-to-day life at a gas station. But it's just so hackneyed and and contrived. Honestly, if you were going to make this movie today, it would be called uh, Twitter Feed the Movie. Uh, Yeah, very true. Again, if they got someone like an Aaron Sorkin or someone who uses the dialogue to maybe, I don't know, have anything to really say other than, man, gee, this real sucks for the working class guy. You're right. There's just no subtlety to it. But Frank asks for some hostages to be released, so John gives him an hour. And uh, this is the first time he actually really threatens that if his son's name isn't on the list, someone's going to die. He's going to start shooting hostages if... His son's not put on that list. So now he has, oh my God, Zach, just show me a little video of Phoebe. She just woke up. God damn it, dude. That dog is sweet as honey. Yeah, she's about to get wild. I can tell. This is going to this is gonna put a real damper. Oh, there she goes biting my hand. Sweet. As he's about to let out the new mother and the lady with the baby, Mitch fucking attacks John. He sprays him in the face with some sort of chemical, gets him on the ground, knocks his gun out of his hand, and asks Julie, his girlfriend, to grab the gun. But instead, she sprays Mitch, dude, and kicks him straight in the balls, which has everyone in the ER laughing up a storm. Oh my god, this isn't funny. You guys are in a hostage situation. (laughs) Like, one of the guys just tried to take him down, and now, like, in a domestic abuse victim is getting her revenge, and everybody's like, (laughs) what a quirky adventure we're on guys this is kind of serious this is like kind of a big deal i think it's time we now introduce the real hero of the film zach uh tuck lampley the television reporter outside with the hair of a fucking god uh played by paul Johansson. this guy man as xtv uh <laughs> news personnel uh why don't we share our thoughts on this guy <laughs> I can tell you, this guy who's covering the scene live from outside, man, he is not following it by the book, I'll tell you that. They're hacking into police camera, security camera footage, and they're interviewing... At one point, I couldn't believe that they did this in this movie. Like, everything in this movie is grounded in reality to, like, some degree, especially when it gets into, like, policy of hospitals and healthcare and insurance and stuff like that. But then at one point, like... A guy in a news van is like, yep, just hacking the police encryption on these video files or something like that. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Tuck Lampley reminded me of the fish reporter on SpongeBob with like the toupee who's just talking the way he speaks and everything. Like, good God, this guy. I love him. Rebecca and Frank finally tell Denise what's going on. And she realizes that they're actually fishing for information to maybe incriminate her husband further. So she sees straight through it and asks to be left alone. However, 
Becca knows that if they give in, every ER in the country is going to be filled with gunmen. So they just lie and say they're going to pay for everything. Denise, of course, thrilled by this information. You know, and- it, it it's obvious that John Q is the sympathetic person, but that's a solid point there is like, you know, if, if you do give it, it's the same thing as we don't negotiate with terrorists because this is that's what this is. It's terrorism. He's holding an ER hostage to get his way. Yeah. Even if it is for a noble cause, yeah, if you did this, there sets a precedent and there could be more. So you, again, do see the side of from the health administrator's perspective, I guess. Denise, of course, is thrilled. So she plans to inform John to hopefully end the situation. SWAT, meanwhile, has convened outside. Tuck Lampley is interviewing John's co-worker buddy that we met earlier live on air uh, with the hospital watching. And, you know, he's like, if you could talk to John Q right now, what would you say? You know, I'm with him and... Take care. And this is also another, like, you know, it's tough for us working class guys to get ahead in this world. It's just like every other scene. It's just it's there's a message. And I it, it really makes some of the criticisms of this movie make sense. Outside, they're looking to send a SWAT officer in through the air ducts to end the situation. And this, of course, all happening behind Frank's back. At this point, Chief Monroe actually relieves Frank of his duty because he believes, you know, he's gone too soft. What about the hostages inside there? Yeah, well, they better duck because Ray Liotta doesn't give a fuck. And it's an election year. They patch a call from Denise through to John in hopes she'll be able to talk him down. She tells him, you know, you did it or on the list. Meanwhile, that chody news guy in the van trying to get picture of this conversation by hacking into the police feed or some shit so they can use this for their live shot. And Tuck just breaks in with this information. There's no communication with producers or anything back home. He just goes live without saying a goddamn word because he's Tuck Lampley. I mean, again, this is just this is not how television news works. (laughs) (laughs) But they have a very heartfelt conversation just as he hangs up though he's shot by the SWAT officer who's come through the air ducts in the arm he grabs the guy out of the rafters and starts beating the shit out of him live in front of the country the command post is pissed about that and this was a real rough scene to watch uh especially today where the shots of yeah the press is being taken away like the press at this point get arrested again they're doing terrible things in this movie things that you shouldn't actually do But again, in a time where we're watching the press being arrested during protests. And they would never do, by the way. Also extremely true. They would never do this. Uh, Yeah, kind of a difficult angle. But again, one of those, just throw another message at the wall. We'll lump the media in with health insurance and all these other people. Everyone's just, you know, out to get the working class guy. Yeah. John asks for Lieutenant Frank Grimes specifically after this whole ordeal. He's done dealing with Leota. He brings out the SWAT officer who's been stripped of his uniform. Of course, there's some memorable lines here. Sick help. Huh? Zach? Sick help. What? What the fuck? Are you... <laughs> We're just yelling the sick help. Anyway, I oh, do yeah, love the yeah. Yeah. sick help. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I do love the, uh, I'm not going to bury my son. My son is going to bury me. Beautiful dude. And he's fucking killing it. Also have to bring up too, that he brings out the SWAT guy with no pants on and everybody's is having a good fucking laugh at that. Let's be, let's get one thing clear. Everyone fucking loves John Q. This crowd is obsessed with the guy. Oh my God. John demands his son be brought to the hospital. And once that has happened, he agrees to give up. So Mike is immediately rushed over. Sniper is released. Uh, but no one's 
the, the hostage situation doesn't seem to end. And this is when he finds out that, you know, if he doesn't get a heart, a new heart almost immediately, he will die. So he reveals to the hostages his plans to commit suicide so that his heart can be used to put in his son. Fuck, dude, this is heavy shit. This whole scene is like, oh, my Lord. That sounds like a thematic element. Ah, that is a thematic element and a half, man. Because, uh, again, you get it from both sides. He's a father who would do anything to protect his son, but also just, like, you don't know 100% if your heart's going to fit. There's all these, like, medical questions. I get you're the same B-positive blood type, but come on, guy. There's a lot of other stuff that factor into this. Dr. Turner believes this is so unethical that he refuses to do so, you know, because he could be barred from practicing medicine. You yeah, know? Um, but... You know, because John Q and everybody loves freaking John Q, he gets talked into it and he prepares himself and uh, says goodbye to his son. Does not say goodbye to his wife, though. That's right. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. And meanwhile, (laughs) that lady who drove off the road in the beginning, she's an organ donor, dude. And her heart is being removed as we speak. And what do you know? What blood type is she? Be positive. Fucking push in on that camera. Oh. Be positive. Nice, dude. Let's get that heart to little Mikey Archibald. That's good storytelling right there, Brandon, because fucking uh, we started with that car crash at the beginning, and now it's coming full freaking circle, brother. So that's what this is all. This is a good movie. This is a good movie. You get it. Finally. John, meanwhile, doesn't know that the heart's on its way. So he has crafted a will, says goodbye to the hostages, and heads into Mike's room. And I have to say, if there's one, if there's one thing, good thing to come out of this entire movie, it's this five minute scene with him talking to his son. I don't care how melodramatic, how saccharine it is. It's fu- it gets me. It gets me every fucking time I see it. It's beautifully performed, and it's just this monologue about what you would say to your son if you couldn't be there for the rest of his life. All these like really nice things to tell, like you know, always listen to your mother, be kind, don't smoke, treat women like princesses your word is your bond if you say something you're gonna do it make as much money as you can if you can and to just you know stay away from the bad things in life it's super fucking sad dude but now that kid's on the fucking hook the rest of his life he's a, i fucking told you that one time <laughs> when i gave you seven life lessons in a row yeah you have my heart that kid can't fuck up anymore that's true yeah, yeah there's a lot of pressure on that kid at that point but you know, we also mentioned Mike can barely talk through this whole thing. So even though if you may not have loved his cute, vibrant performance at the beginning in this act, shut up. You now. gotta. I mean, the rest of this movie, he's barely speaking. <laughs> Holy shit! They shut him the hell up. <sighs> he leaves the room. He's about to kill himself when they get word they have a heart. And you know, if you could, if you were to put a gun to my head and, and say, craft the most dramatic scene possible. <laughs> It goes, it swings for the fucking fences here as he's about to kill himself. And she finds out, the wife finds out they're trying to call him on the radio, but he doesn't want to listen. So he just like kisses the radio, shuts it off. You know, the first time he even tries to kill himself, he's like, oh, fuck, safety's on. <laughs> it's so drawn out. Again, it's, just to ring some more suspense. It's out so of it. drawn out. It's fucking nuts. It's enough to give you ulcers, man. And then finally he, you know, is about to shoot himself and she knocks on the door real quickly like, John, they found a heart. And fuck. Crisis diverted, hostage situation ends. Everyone is let out, including who the police think is John Q. They arrest the guy. Turns out it's actually just Eddie Griffin. You don't like to see this, just police profiling any black man to come out with a baseball cap on. They just arrest him to, that must be John Q. Like, oh, God damn it, guys. Oh, my God. That was 
You just saw this guy on national television. You couldn't look at the face or anything like very ridiculous. Can you imagine if that happened today? That would have been that would have been busted on Twitter in like a matter of seconds. Oh, for sure. I can't this if this story happened today, I would be fascinated to see how it would have played out in today's current political climate. And now that we have social media, this would be a fucking firestorm. Yeah. John is actually disguised as a doctor and he watches the whole heart transplant go down. It's successful. Lieutenant Frank Grimes, he's there to meet him with handcuffs, though. And we cut to three months later. It is his court hearing. John is found not guilty. Oh, we got a trial in three months? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That doesn't happen. I'll say, honestly, that's the least believable thing in this movie. <laughs> that the justice system worked that fast. <laughs> that and that uh, a news photographer was able to hack into security cameras using police <laughs> encryption. And yeah, so he's found not guilty of the attempted murder charges, but he is of the kidnapping and false imprisonment charges. It's thrown away really quickly in dialogue. You overhear that the judge will probably go to three for three to five years, but his lawyer will try to get it down to two. And on his way out of the courthouse, Mike tells him goodbye. Hey, it's not goodbye. It's see you later. I just realized all these uh, hostages could have just dropped the charges. Could they not have? Right, couldn't they have? Well, I guess the state is prosecuting, so maybe they just did it all on their behalf, but it seemed like maybe Mitch would have pressed charges because <laughs> he's the only one not present for the hearing there, it seems, because everyone else even comes to the hearing right. to support him. He's that good of a fucking guy. And he drives away, and his son comes out flexing like the bodybuilders he obsesses over, letting us know he's stronger, he's healthy, and he'll continue to fight John Q. Oof. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this, man. Um, you know, I I was expecting something terrible uh, based on the reviews. Like I was expecting to have my nostalgia checked pretty heavily today. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I don't think this movie is quite as bad as critics gave it credit for. Granted, um, it feels a lot more like propaganda and pandering than it does an actual movie at times. I think it is just really heavy-handed i it's not subtle at all and i didn't really appreciate a lot of the scenes um like that i don't you know i don't come to the movies for that if you want to do something like that that's fine make it a little bit more subtle there are times where they're just outright saying like it's wrong that this happens and this happens and this happens they might as well just stare at the camera until you give in you're like you're right it's it's wrong um so i (laughs) I do have a problem with that, and I understand where critics are coming from because it did, I think, detract a lot from this movie. It took me out of it in moments, and I didn't really appreciate a lot of it. That being said, there's a lot that is working well in this movie. Denzel Washington, I think, being first and foremost. It, I think his performance is undeniably amazing. I think he's really good. Um, the plot is not... Uh, airtight I think is serviceable I think you know this is a situation that has happened could happen you know maybe I was taken out of it a little bit by our current situation which kind of didn't help but um, I I think I think it's not a terrible movie in general I think you could probably cut off a couple minutes of it I don't think it necessarily has to be two hours I think you could have gotten away with maybe an hour 45 minutes and it would have been perfectly fine 
I think it's a solid like 50, man. I don't think it's great. I don't think it's 23 or whatever critics gave it. I don't think it's that bad. I do think it's kind of annoying in hindsight. Um, you know what I mean? I don't think I can foresee myself going back to watch it again because if I want to be preached at, I'll go to church. It's a moving like family drama, first and foremost. It's a decent hostage thriller. It's a poor indictment of the healthcare system. You know what I mean? It's, it, it is melodramatic, very saccharine at times, but I also think it's really raw and emotional, and I actually believe the characters because the actors are that good. Mm. I think the script is really manipulative and contrived, but I kind of feel like it's, it at least feels sometimes like it's made with a real sincerity, unlike a lot of the Hollywood movies that like pander to the working class, because it didn't feel like I was maybe being talked down to in a studio executive condescending to blue collar audiences sort of way. You know, it, it did, however, feel very cynical about a wide range of topics from insurance companies to the media to class division. But sure, it never explores it more than uh, gee, doesn't it suck to be the little guy sort of rhetoric. And it just feels like it bites off more than it can chew. Uh, overall, though, dude, I was moved several times. I was frustrated with a system, you know, that remains broken. I was sort of entertained. I was, for the most part, I never got bored. And I think that there are some missteps along the way, a lot of them, and an overuse of heavy-handed social messaging. But I actually think this is a pretty decent to good movie. I think it's designed to make you angry and sad, but it does it well. So again, not a movie I'd necessarily recommend for everyone. Nostalgia-wise, I didn't necessarily feel all that much nostalgia watching it, but I do think it, it can hold up today. Maybe not a watch for right now. Maybe give it a couple months when hopefully things are better in our country to give it a watch. Sure. But th- the acting's too good for me to ignore. And I think while a bit hokey, it's uh, pretty powerful. So I'm actually going to go higher than I'll go. I think I'm going to go like a 65. I think it was pretty, pretty good to decent. Almost wow. a three, three star movie. Yeah. I, I Again, I do feel like a lot of the messaging is way heavy handed and just and, and at times annoying, but it's not really telling us anything. We didn't know all these things we knew were bad. But at the same time, those are messages that, like, we kind of need to hear every so often. And so, you know, maybe not in our entertainment as much as this movie seems to think. But I don't know. I wasn't as offended by some of the messaging as I guess I could see others being. That's fair, man. Yeah, I think it's just it's a good movie. I just think maybe not as well intentioned as we anticipated it being. Sure. Understood. But also, yeah, I didn't at a 23 percent. I was expecting to feel like holy shit what was i thinking this whole time but honestly it's it's yeah, not i was expecting some sort of shit storm it's not that bad it's fine it's just you know be just be prepared that like you're gonna get a stern talking to you know what i mean <laughs> yeah exactly i think that honestly points out the inherent flaw with rotten tomatoes in that it just bases critics reviews off of either it's positive or negative and the people out there were like this isn't all that bad it's whatever but they're you know, basing it negatively, it just gets lumped in with the movie, the reviews that say this is the worst movie of the year. So I think that's kind of the flaw in 23% right. for this unheard of. But Zach, did you watch anything good or bad you want to recommend before we wrap up? Uh, I watched Space Force, the new uh, Greg Daniels, Steve Carell uh, show on Netflix that came out like a week or they announced that they were doing it like a week after the U.S. Space Force was announced. Um it it has its moments, man. But if you're looking for like the Office two point two point oh, it's really not there. I don't think it's that good. If I'm being perfectly oh, okay. honest. 
Um, you know, that's a shame. I've heard this though from a lot of people. It's just kind of meh. It is. That's exactly what it is. It's meh. Um, I, you know, just not super crazy about it. John Malkovich is kind of funny in it. Uh, Steve Corral, man. I don't know what happened to that guy, man. I don't think he's that funny anymore. I, I, I don't think he's been funny since he left the office. <laughs> oh, no. Well, it has. Honestly, he's been on a stretch of, yeah, movies that don't shake, showcase how funny he can be. He's doing some really weird thing in this show, too, where he's like trying. He's a general. So he like gives himself a really down growly voice like this. It's weird. It's bizarre. Well, now your hands are going to be quite full with Phoebe, so I'm not. <laughs> I don't know how much movies or content you'll be able to consume over the next week. I was going to say, other than that, I've just been watching the Boondocks on HBO Max. Uh, that show holds up. It's the Boondocks super Saints. Funny. Uh, no, Brandon, you piece of shit. Uh, Boondocks, <laughs> the show. How about you? I got two movies to recommend. The Nightingale is on Hulu right now. It's Jennifer Kent's second film. I don't know if it's actually her second film, but it's the film she did after The Babadook, which I was a big fan of. This is less a horror movie, more of a thriller, a revenge thriller set back in the fucking 1800s in uh, Australia. It's really violent, really brutal, really graphic, but holy shit is it well acted and just an awesomely shot photographed film. Uh, Hard to watch, but it's worth one if you're into that. And uh, the other one is a movie that I think was on HBO. It might be off now, but it's a movie I haven't seen ever. Gross Point Blank, the John Cusack starring uh, 90s comedy from <laughs> from like where he's like a hitman who has to go to his high school reunion. Dude, it's fun as hell. I had a great time watching that movie. Interesting. Dan Aykroyd's up in there. Good time. All right. Yeah. Nice. One that it just passed me by, never had the chance to see, and glad I checked out. But what are we checking out next week, Zach? We're actually going to a movie that you and I haven't seen, but we've been requested several times. Yeah, we are going to watch Heavyweights, Brandon. And uh, again, never seen it. Uh, you've never seen it. So we're going in with zero expectations. Critics hate it. Um, so that'll be interesting. But what a cast when we were looking at it. I think that in itself is getting me kind of pumped up. Yeah, quite the creative team behind the camera as well. So Lots to talk about. Again, this is a a favorite of our generation that we just skipped out and missed. So every so often on the show, we like to cover movies like that. So good to add another one to the oeuvre. But if you want to check out previous episodes of the show, you can do that by going to nbd.podbean.com. We are also on Podbean, the original hosted site as well, of course, as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know the places. Yeah. Uh, Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and now Instagram. We're so fetch. We're so fetch. And we're so freaking hip and young (laughs) and vibrant and awesome. Uh, But while you're there, please, please, please write us a review. It really helps the show. And of course, always tell a friend. Yeah. Yeah. Zach, uh, I wish you the best, man. This Phoebe. She seems like a handful, cutest goddamn dog I've seen, but uh, good luck, my friend. But the last 20 minutes of this podcast, when you've seen me ducking out of screen to get my hand bitten, yeah. You know, eight-week-old puppies tend to do that. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen her chewing some cables, dude. You're going to have quite the fun couple weeks ahead of you. Oh, yeah, this is going to be great. The podcast is going to be great. Everything's going to be great. Looking forward to it. (laughs) Yeah, great is really the word I'd use to describe 2020. Just kidding. Trash fire. <laughs> I think it's it, it's probably worth noting on that note. Uh, please stay home. Please stay safe. Uh, and you know, I a lot of angry people out there right now, understandably. 
So just, you know, try and spread a little love. Yeah, be good people. Love y'all. All right. Peace. Shut up, Brandon. Oh, fuck. <laughs>